Good morning again to everybody. Good morning. Uh, if you're new with us, uh, Aaron later on is going to give you some directions about how to get connected, just some simple things like filling out cards and stuff like that. Um, I just want to extend an invite to you um, uh, just to let you know that there are, uh, there's a group of people that when you fill out that high card, if specifically you request, like you want to connect with somebody who would love to go grab coffee. I know that can be an awkward thing to have some random person you don't know. These people are highly trained at being not weird. Um, so if you just, it's just a great way, uh, at least on a one-on-one basis or family, just grabbing coffee and finding out how you can connect to the greater church. I just noticed that, uh, there's a number of new folks every week and, um, I know it's really easy to kind of come in, check out a church and sort of disappear without knowing much about the community and getting to know who we are. Um, cause we're really big on, on church not being just focused in on Sunday morning. Uh, so this is only a taste of who we are as a community. Um, that said, too, there are a number of other really wonderful churches in the city. Um, so if you ever need just suggestions of, like, other churches to, like, get plugged in or who might be closer to your musical or theological persuasion, we'd love to reorient, whoa, reorient you to those folks. And as I say that, just a reminder, too, we are really, um, if you're here just for a transactional experience, um, and this isn't to folks who are new. We're just really glad you're here. But folks who've been coming for a while, this is just sort of like come, I consume, I leave. We really are interested in being the church that's reflected in the Bible, which means community, which means even if my sermon is like eh, and even if the music's a little loud, but you are beginning to connect with folks that you know you can do life with. In fact, you know you just need to be committed because you tend to wander around from church to church. We would encourage you to get plugged in or to just not come back. I mean that with so much love. We are just not interested in growing a really big church where people just engage on Sunday. That is, in fact, quite the opposite of what we are trying to do and what we firmly believe the Bible is crystal clear on. So I know some of you may come from different traditions where actually the big Sunday thing was kind of all that church meant. Um, I get that, and believe me, I, like, love this stuff. The band and people showing up and giving a really long-winded, ranty sermon. I love that. Going for hours. Um, but we recognize that what we see, most of the really powerful transformational things that we see happen in Scripture, especially with Jesus, don't happen at formal religious gatherings. It's just like you add them up. Like he's in the temple, we're all about this, but uh, for the most part, most of the powerful experiences we read about actually don't happen in church settings. So uh, that was a long way of saying, if you, if, again, if you're uh, just sort of doing your church shopping thing, Either just like dive in here because there's enough like community and commonality or just don't come back. Like seriously, like I do mean that in all love and joy. Um, and then for, for everybody, well not for everybody else, for the family that's mostly here. Hi guys, talking to everybody else. Um, the folks uh, who are here who are just brand new to church or you haven't been in a long time or you've got a whole lot of baggage we just want to extend an open arm to you and just say we're, we're, we recognize this is a big deal. Especially walking into a room like this, which may like trigger weird stuff if you've grown up in a very deeply religious background that you felt was really hypocritical and really broken. And, and this kind of space just brings all that back. I just want to resonate or want to just say um, this hopefully is a safe place for you. When we originally named Sanctuary Sanctuary, it was a recognition that I had a lot of friends who weren't Christians who needed a safe place and a sacred place to explore truth. 
And that's all we're interested in here is to have a place where we can actually explore together. Um, and if you, if you left church and, or if you think of church as like just a bunch of hypocrites, we would just like to say that we are glad to have you here as another hypocrite to welcome you into our hypocritical family. Um, <laughs> you're not off the hook just because Christians have been hypocritical before. Um, we're just really, we want this to be a place where you can be safe to love and to not have to agree. You might have listened to half of these songs or readings and you're like, I don't even know where I stand with all of this. And there's a lot of folks around you that are probably in a similar place. Uh, And the Bible can handle your doubts and God can handle your doubts and your questions. In fact, the Bible's full of people crying out, wanting to make sense of who God is and what it means to live life to the full. So we're here just trying to explore that. It's great to be with you. Thanks, man. I was only gone one week. Thanks, dude. I feel the love. Uh, Let me pray for us. Actually, let's stand for the reading of the word and let me pray over our sermon. Our text today is Philippians 2, 12 to 13. This is an ancient letter written from a guy named Paul. This is the series that we've been going through. He's writing from jail. And he says in this portion of the letter, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. There are some seats up front if you just came in. Especially if you're brand new to church. You've never been for a while. It's really good to sit in the front row. Do you feel that much more weird about your whole experience? Just kidding. (laughs) Um, So... Without going through, we've tried to do a good job week after week giving you a bit of the backstory of what's going on in this letter. Uh, and I kind of hit the high points right now. Paul started a community. Um, the reason why this community is on edge is because uh, when we look back through like 11th grade history class, uh, you know what's happening with the Roman Empire. You know the Caesars are ruling the world as a cult religion and he's saying actually Caesar is not the way. It's actually not through the way of violence or the way of the sword, but it's actually through the way of Jesus that um, transformation is going to happen. Uh, this is the revolutionary spirit, as we often say. We see in Mother Teresa and Martin Luther King and Nelson Mandela, followers of Jesus, who amongst many, many I could go through history, I just always named those three, um, who a- identified with the story and have lived in places or worked through issues of oppression where the idea and all that comes with the phrase Jesus is Lord is actually subverted by whatever governmental system is there. And this is a big part not the whole thing, but a big part of what's happening in the book of Philippians. Um, and so in this passage, you see uh, Paul is actually now transitioning. Last week, Caleb talked about the uh, Christ hymn, which is the text before this, explaining the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is, is always a humility, dying to self. It's, it's a sense of submission. We see Jesus washing the feet of the other. Uh, We see how beautiful it is that Jesus is sacrificing for those, and we get a picture of this in the passage last week. Um, So I want to welcome Jason up, and uh, don't be too distracted by him, but Jason's going to be over here working on a guitar, and that will seem really disconnected until the very end. So uh, Jason does this for a living, uh, or one of the things he does for a living. Say hi to Jason. Uh, Jason's going to be working uh, on uh, refinishing an old guitar. 
What, you're not doing that? Oh, setting up an old guitar. He's going to be setting up a guitar. That's his tackle box. You're not going to be too loud over there, are you? No? You can be all right? All right. Okay. That'll be great. Don't be distracted. He's really beautiful, I know, ladies. But So, right out of the bat, I'm just going to walk through this text for us and, uh, and just try to unpack why this is absolutely, why a letter that was written thousands of years ago is so absolutely vital and powerful for us. Specifically, and I know there are many in the room who are not followers of Jesus, but for those who are, this, the ramifications of what Paul is talking about are absolutely central of what it means to journey with Jesus. He begins with, therefore, my dear friends. In light of what Jesus is like, he again references my dear friends. As we have said sermon after sermon as we started this series, Paul gives a mighty, mighty, mighty care about this community. He loves these people, weeps for them, is willing to die for them. He is so just blessed and overwhelmed with joy at these, this group of people. He goes on, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, so not only when I was hanging out with you and helping start this church, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to. So he's about to go on. I want to pause here. Paul right here is just saying, look, don't, don't drift. Whether I've been with you, caring for you, helping you start this, this colony of heaven, this outpost of love, this group of Jesus followers. When I'm with you, you guys were killing it, obeying, obeying Jesus and actually loving one another and caring one another and being people of peace together. You're doing an unbelievable job of that. Keep going. Don't drift. We see all sorts of warnings in scripture about this very thing. If you have your Bibles, Hebrews 2.1. I think this will be on the screen. We must, the writer of Hebrews uh, says, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Paul is encouraging the Philippian church to not drift from following God in his absence. Let me stop. Where do you drift? For those of you who have a belief in God, for those of you who trust in Jesus, for those of you who say, yeah, I want to learn the way of love. I want to submit myself to Jesus. Where do you have a propensity to drift? Where of the things that you have heard, the things that you've experienced, the things that you've seen, the truth that you've come to accept, where do you drift from that? Where? Like, just take a minute. Like, actually acknowledge it. I don't do this enough in sermons. Like, just stop. I, like, throw out 16 questions and then move on. Where do you drift? Where do you need to hear the writer of Hebrews warning? Just jot it down. Where are the places in your life where you recognize there is a push away from the way of Jesus? So this brings us to a natural question. How do they not drift? Paul then says, hey guys, work out your salvation. Work out your salvation. So I want to tell you a couple stories that hopefully will help unpack what it means to work out your salvation. Um, Corey and I uh, have been blessed with a, a healthy daughter. Um, but there was a while that we were um, fairly certain for a number of reasons that we may not be able to actually have kids. Um, 
And uh, even now, we're wondering what adoption looks like. We know there's some folks in our community who are huge advocates of adoption. And I was thinking about the difference as we've started to ask some questions about what adoption might or might not look like in our family. There were some things, uh, there's the opportunity to adopt or do foster care with a, 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 a newborn. And then up the ladder, we have some friends who are adopting, uh, I think it's two girls or three girls, who are 15 years old from Haiti. The difference between adopting an infant and adopting a 13-year-old or a 14-year-old or a 15-year-old is pretty dramatic from what I've heard. Not just to the fact that you're getting to know this person years, just a few years before adulthood, but because all that that person has come through and experienced, so much of their identity by 15, so much of it especially on a subconscious level, is already formed. I was thinking about this, uh, this kid. I'll just call him Jim for the sake of the story. Uh, it's such not a name that's going to fit with the story. That's all right. If I say anything else, it's just going to sound odd. Uh, Jim. <laughs> uh, I can't do Jim. Let's go with James at least. James. Uh, this kid who's a 14-year-old, and he lives in the neighborhood that... Uh, I lived in for a number of years before I got married in South Providence. It's still the neighborhood where we do the after-school art program. Uh, his sister, who's an older sister, her fists are registered with the police uh, because she's actually taken enough boxing classes and been in enough fights and hurt people that severely that they're actually registered weapons. So if she were to get into a fight, it would be as if she pulled a knife on somebody. I didn't even know this was like this happened. This is his environment. Dad hasn't been in the picture in a long time. Uh, one of the letters that he wrote when we asked, like, what do you really, like, hope for and dream for? He said, oh, I'm pretty sure I'm going to wind up in jail by the time I'm out of high school, but it would be really great if I could actually, you know, have a job and not be in jail. So his expectation was like, well, I'll probably be in jail, you know, but, you know, it'd be cool if I wasn't. The environment at home when I walked into his house on a number of occasions was just chaos and distraction. He had such a hard time with other students accepting the fact that they could care about him. And because he was a big kid, the way he expressed it was actually he turned into the bully like so many bullies do. They're insecure, but they got size on you. If Corey and I were to adopt this child now, the amount of weight of his identity, of who he is, would be just absolutely overwhelming. And so what would need to happen, right, is all of this life that he's experienced, if he were grafted into our family, if the judge came down with the gavel and said, actually, you are now not a smith, but you're a mook. Sorry, you had a really awful last name now, but we'll work through that. That would be the only really loss in coming into our family. <laughs> He now is a safe, like a roof over his head. He has a home where Corey and I are going to do our best to love him. We are going to be present for him. We are going to teach him the way of Jesus. We're going to make sure that he's fed all the time. We're not going to be the world's best parents. But he's not going to have an older sister who he's looking up to who gets into gang fights all the time and is thrown in jail. He's going to have a father who's actually around. He's going to have a mother who actually shows him affection. Now just because his entire circumstance has changed, he has so much of his identity is still there. 
He has 15 years, right? It's not just going to snap. Well, the judge, the gavel came down. You're a mook. And now, that's our last name, by the way, if you're new. If you're like, why does he keep saying a mook? I know. It's a Dutch name. It, it, it's the stuff on the bottom of your shoe. It's okay. This is who you are now. It, it's not instantaneous. But this is what's been done for you. This is the grace. You've been adopted into a family that is going to care. It's going to do its best to put you through college. It's going to be there at your wedding. That's going to love and pour out love. It's going to pull you out of a neighborhood that has nothing but negative influence on you. And we're far going to be. We're going to be far from perfect. This is a little bit of a glimpse of, of what Paul's talking about. Work out what has happened to you. Flush out the implications of what has been done. Do you realize what is done? Work out the reality that you are now, and if we are followers of Jesus, we would say we have been accepted by the grace of God. We have been lavished in his love. Nothing that we could do to earn it. Our sin has been forgotten. Our brokenness is not what defines us anymore. It's what the most psychologists point to as the core longing in most people. Right? We talk about this all, the, I talk about this all the time. There's fear of death and loss of identity. The two things that drive modern psychology are the two things that fundamentally are found in the gospel of Jesus. There's nothing you can do to earn your way. It, you are loved and accepted no matter what you do. Just say yes because it's finished and you have no fear. There's no more fear in death. And step into that. This is what's been done for you. Now work out the ramifications of this new identity of the gavel coming down. This is another example. I was talking to my wife and a friend last night. Being a parent. As soon, for those of you who have become parents, as soon as you just become a parent, oh my gosh. Like working out the re... I still have moments like... Uh, thinking, oh my gosh, like, I'm a parent. It's real. It's happened. Like, I'm still, I have a major Peter Pan complex. I'm still stuck at, like, 19 in my head. <laughs> it's a maturity issue I'm trying to deal with. But I, I just, like, all of a sudden, I, I have a responsibility. I have to work out the implications that I am now responsible for another human being who cannot take care of themselves. I have to work out I, there are classes I need to take. There, I have a newfound sense of what integrity it needs to look like. Like, what does it mean to actually have integrity? Um, next, I think it's the next slide. The, nope, that's all right. There we go. No, okay, forget about it. <laughs> I think there's a picture of Harper up there. Maybe not. Okay, that's all right. You don't need to see her. She's over there. You can take a look at her. I was going to just show this picture because it's in looking at some of these pictures of her that I get overwhelmed with a deep sense of, of just fear and trembling. Like, I have a responsibility to care. I have a responsibility to actually, like, pour out all that I am. Like, I am, I've got 18 years to shape, like, hopefully in a beautiful freedom way, freeing way, like a functional adult who is not too badly corrupted by me. <laughs> like there's an unbelievable awe and fear that, that I have when it comes to this sort of thing. Uh, I just, 
Every I don't know any of you fear like afraid of flying. Anyone have a fear of flying? No, no one. Anyone have fear of heights? Yeah. So those two things, for some reason, they don't go together for a lot of people. They go together for me. <laughs> like I look out the window, I'm like, it's getting higher. <laughs> I'm in a steel can, floating through the sky. <laughs> um, hopefully, a plane's not made of steel. The the interesting thing about flying that I have every time, I don't really have a deep fear of flying, but I, I think every time I'm taking off, like this is the end. It's, it, I, know, I know that should constitute a fear of flying, but I'm actually fine once we're in the sky. I just like, this is it. And there's a moment of consideration of all that I've been given and all that I've been blessed with. How has this been used? Well, it's not a guilt thing or a shame thing. It's a recalibrating thing. I think I... It is like the number one thing that propels me to pray. And I don't pray for safety, although I probably should. I actually really just go before God and say, God, search my heart. There's a real sense of fear and trembling when that plane takes off. Not so much that I'm going to die, but that I realize how short my life really is. And I need to be, am I thinking through and working out the reality of what God has done for me? This last week in Chicago, I was at a Covenant Church planting uh, event. So we were helping, um, I'm, you know, we're only two years in here at Sanctuary, but they wanted somebody who was pretty close to starting to help all these other folks who were lecturing, getting new people to help plant churches. So there's a room full of folks who are right in the early stages. And I realized the absolute fear and trembling on every single one of their faces, which was the same that was on mine, and probably still should be, like two years ago of, oh my gosh, this is like a, we're, we're helping create a colony of Jesus that can help bless the city. The responsibility that sits on me feels overwhelming. Fear and trembling is about realizing the gift that's been given. Fear and trembling is about realizing who is Lord and who is not. Who sits on the throne and who doesn't. Fear and trembling is about recognizing your new identity if you're a follower of Jesus, you have this sense of, okay, now the old self has been taken off and the new self has been put on. I'm saying yes to the grace and good news of what Jesus has done. I'm saying yes to being loved at the core of my being. I'm saying yes to an unbelievable freedom. I'm saying yes to my humanity. This is about recognizing and having a deep sense of awe and wonder. And I think fear really is a good word. We don't like fear in our culture. But this is a really good word, right? Like, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The work that God has done is fear-inducing in that it is so good and so beautiful and so true to not flush out what that means for today, to not take hold of that, of what that means as a parent, what that means as somebody who's going into the office, what that means as somebody who has whatever kind of inspired work you do or you feel like you're in the worst crap job ever. What does it mean to live out the beauty of what God has done for me here and now? Moving on, verse 13. For it is, God's, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So we've just been told by Paul that we should work out our salvation. God's done this thing. i got to work out the implications of it. And now we're told that, well, actually, it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good 
purpose. Which is it? God working in me or me working? And for Paul, any sort of obedience, any sort of actually taking part in, in becoming, becoming who we were created to be, for any human obedience towards goodness or right living, joy or love, it all has its root in the goodness, justice, joy, and love of God. That's where it all has its root. Paul is stressing God's activity, underpinning and empowering his people toward greater holiness. Paul insists that God empowers the believers both in their will, like in their desire, and in their actual doing of these acts that fulfill the unbelievably beautiful purposes that God has for us, the purposes of justice and love and seeing others come to know the beauty of Jesus. Paul, in fact, learned for himself that his strength comes from the Lord over and over and over. He says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. He recognizes that there is a, a, a synergy, a relationship, a partnership between me working out what God has already done and God working in me to accomplish it. Here's one helpful way to think about this. Because sometimes Christians get really caught up in this. Like, well, I don't have to earn anything, so I shouldn't have to work. Right? This is why Paul says, um, don't keep on sinning so grace will increase. Like, you've missed the point. It's like, oh, I've been so blessed and loved. Right? So blessed and overwhelmed and loved by God that I'm just going to like, that's cool. I'm good. I'm just going to go over here and waste my life. Right? Paul's like, no, you're missing it. If you truly recognize what, you have, what Jesus has done for you and what it looks like to walk in the way of Jesus, you, you couldn't not turn and follow. This is the place where we see the hypocrisy, where we see the drift so often in church. And Paul's actually saying there's a relationship here. It's not just you accomplishing things, being more disciplined, paying attention to your sin, paying attention to the ways that you fall short, paying attention to the ways you drift away. Recognize, it's not just that. Actually, you need to be in prayer and recognize the fact that God is actually working in you. And there's, there's an, in some ways, this is the beauty of it doesn't all rely on you. Uh, here's one way I would explain it. Uh, go ahead. You can cue that. Hear that? Anyone familiar with this song? Anyone familiar with this song? Yeah. Like best R&B pop song to come out in forever. So imagine this. Here, you can leave it right here. Great volume right here. So God graciously, so you're a dancer. Like inside, like from you, since you were a little kid, you recognize like the fact that you had a, an, like a skill. Like, you knew that you knew how to dance. You've denied this. You've pushed this down. Like, mama told you you're supposed to be a lawyer. You know, you, you, you don't go out to the clubs because that's not whatever. I don't know. Like, this is just something you know that is in you. This gift that you've been given of rhythm. But you've never actually pursued it. So God graciously places us in a room, or you in a room, two loudspeakers similar to this, and begins playing music. Surprisingly... We rebel, we cup our hands over our ears, and we begin to sing our own songs. This is our sinful nature. God then graciously, he doesn't give up on us. God turns the volume up. And we continue to rebel, and we continue to cover our ears, and he turns it up louder. We persist. He points the speakers right at you. And then he puts ten more in. 
And then everybody has a really awkward moment. We all stand up and no, don't do that. If we were a different kind of church, somebody would just stand up and just start dancing. We'd break into worship and we'd all go home. You can turn it down. If you experience this, this, this silly analogy, you're in a room and you've got this internal music and all of a sudden it kicks up and more. How many of you who even have a, just a little soft spot in your heart for Pharrell, like you wanted to dance or you were like tapping your foot just then? You know what I mean? There's a little something. You were like, why is my shoulder going up like this? Like, this is, <laughs> I don't know what's happening here. You wouldn't, even though, um, you know, the way this analogy kind of finishes out is, is you know, God comes and, and actually grabs you and says, let's dance. Not forcefully, but if, if, you were, if you were sitting there in a room and all of a sudden, by the end of this, like God pouring more and more speakers and turning up the music, because God is a Pharrell fan, and you all of a sudden, at the very end, you're like, the music is blaring and God's like dancing right with you, right? He's got like his little Dougie, I don't know. Um, not the Dougie, you would not dance the Dougie to that, right? I don't even know what you would do. Um, like the doo-wop or something. At that moment, would you credit yourself? Would you credit yourself if you just started breaking out into dancing? No. Now you're doing it. That's your action. That's your choice. You're deciding to start to dance. You're like, okay, all right, I'm in, God. You know, you like kick your leg out and things just start happening. It's great. No. This is just a, a sloppy analogy, but I think effective and getting at what Paul's talking about. Work out the reality that you are a dancer. Like work out this reality. This is who you were created to be. You've shoved it down. This is the gift that God's been given, given you. And you actually need to train yourself to become a better dancer. You need to go take classes. You need to work on your craft. But anybody who's ever tried to dance who has no sense of rhythm knows that that's not possible without the gift, right? <laughs> I know some of you have seen you on the dance floor. It's ugly. I love it. I mean, God bless you for being filled with joy like that, but keep it contained. You know what I'm talking about. It's the folks that like default to like the supermarket move because it's like all they got. You know what I'm talking about? They like want to dance, but it's like, I got the lawnmower. I got the lawnmower. Anyway. This is God's doing. God's at work in us as we work out our own salvation. If Paul were here, he would say sanctuary. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, who have said yes to the grace of God, work out the reality that you are loved at the depth of your being, that you have no fear in death, that your sin is not counted against you, that you have a purpose and a vision and a joy for your life. Work it out and know that as you do that, as you learn to dance, that it is God who is working in and through you. It is God who is turning up the music. It is God who can give you the strength and the will to do that. You are not on your own in kicking that porn addiction. You are not on your own in becoming a more loving person. You are not on your own in killing your cynicism so you can be open to the wonder of the world. You are not on your own in becoming a peacemaker. You are not on your own to loose the chains of injustice to help and lift a friend. You are not on your own. But you've got to work out the implications of this. What's done has been done. It's finished. God has done all. I mean, more than we could ever, ever want. 
There's a partnership here. So to go back and read one more time before we close. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. One scholar says this, it's on the screen. Paul, Paul's point is that the Philippians are to focus on living out their calling as believers, irrespective of his presence in their midst. He insists that they are capable of embracing their own salvation and growing deeper into the life God has called them to, and God will empower them as they go. One last picture for you. Jason, no, you don't have to talk to me. I'm just talking about you. Taking a broken and beat up guitar. If Jason were to just take this guitar and paint over it or to refinish the wood, to shine it and polish it and hand it to me to play, it wouldn't work. It, 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 would, be, it, would, it would be a surface change. And this is not what God is interested in. We know this. Our, everybody knows this. Our culture knows You don't have to be a Christian to know this. There is the artificial change on the surface. And there is the deep-rooted work it out with fear and trembling, the brokenness that's going on inside of each of us. Jason, he strings uh, this, these slots on this guitar that are like, like fractions of an inch like he's playing with to make sure that the tune or uh, these strings actually stay in tune. On the other end of the bridge, the strings sit on the saddle, and uh, the saddle allows for extra fine adjustment for each string length. So one sixty-fourth of an inch can offset the intonation, which for those of you who don't know music or instruments, this is like just tiny, tiny pivots, tiny adjustments that make for either of an instrument with great character and endurance and an instrument that won't hold tune and is kind of a waste. The arc of the neck needs to be just the right angle. I actually broke a guitar trying to adjust the neck because I turned it too hard. The arc even of the neck to the strings needs to be just right. I could go on. God is not interested in merely changing our spiritual appearance. Instead, he intends to replace our character with what is called the new self. Ephesians 4.24 says, Put on this new self that you have in Jesus. We are to work out the implications of God's loving grace empowered by God. This will completely transform us on the inside. Paul is reminding this church that it is partnership. So where for you do you need to have discipline? Where do you need to have intentional care? Not just in identifying where you tend to drift, but where you are broken and selfish and that old self is climbing back up. The places where you fail to love, to be open to the beauty of God. The places where you actually have ignored God. There is a way to live that's careless. There is a way to live that is careless and takes the gift of God for granted. What you get is an out-of-tune, miserable instrument that only looks good hanging on a wall. I don't want to be that guitar. And then there is the guitar that sings, that can be played how it was created to be played. Paul begins this passage with this simple phrase, as you have always obeyed. Because there's a track record with this church that he's writing to. 
they've done a really good job. And I can say that for so many of you, even despite of your own, like, hiccups. I haven't been able to even say that about myself recently, but recently I'm like, man, all right, God. Like, thank you for the way you're working in me. I'm seeing just, like, measurable improvements. I feel like I'm working out my salvation, the implications of what you've done more and more. And Paul is saying to this church, and you can imagine Paul saying this to us, keep on. There's so much freedom and life in Jesus. Keep on. There's so much joy and righteousness. Keep on. There is an incredible mission in front of all of us to renew all things. Keep on rooting out sin. Keep on betting on grace. Keep on loving like Jesus does. Keep on humbling yourself and dying to who you are that you might make, make way for the person that you were made to be. We all sense that disconnect, right? Even if you're here and you're not a Christian, you sense a disconnect between who you were made to be and what's actually going on day to day. If you're here and you're a Christian, do you ask for more of Jesus? Do you wish for more participation in the work of Jesus? Do you long for intimacy with the love and logic, the Lord behind everything? If it's yes to these questions, if that's what you would answer, it naturally follows that you would ask, am I willing to be transformed as I grow in Christ? To obey Jesus is to walk in your salvation. It is not to earn your salvation, but to enjoy the possibility that grace now affords. Can, and maybe this is the question for us, can God be trusted to work in you as he said? Like, do you believe that? Can God be trusted to work out this salvation in us? Is he as strong as he said he is? Is he as good as he says he is? And most important, does he really love us and want what's best for us? God promises to conform us to the image of God, like who we were made to be. Do we really want this? And lastly, as we come to the communion table, this season we tend to be very focused inwardly. But I actually want to end with a bit of outward because this is written to a church, to a large community. Uh, There's this great quote that I love from a, a man named William Booth. And he says this, and, and I, I mentioned this just to connect the dots for you. As we ask all those questions, as you hopefully are thinking through right now, like, I need to be disciplined in this way. I need to get up earlier. I need to remember this. I need to focus in on this. These are the things I need to lay before God. There is the communal. There is the how are we as a church working out the good gifts of God, the salvation that's here for the sake of our city. William Booth, who is the founder of um, the Salvation Army, says this. While women weep as they do now, I will fight. While little children go hungry as they do now, I will fight. While men go to prison in and out, in and out as they do now, I will fight. While there is a drunkard left, while there is a poor lost girl upon the streets, while there remains one dark soul without the light of God, I will fight. I will fight to the very end. This is the outward picture of working out our salvation. Will we fight? Will we be disciplined? Will we organize ourselves in such a way? Are you organizing your time and your life? Are you removing the barriers that cause you to drift away from God? That addiction that you are exhausted with, are you serious about stepping up to the plate and dealing with this? With the full recognition that you are loved exactly where you are at 
And it is that love and that grace and that salvation working in us that causes us to work that out. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I pray as we come to the table, Lord, that you would uh, do something really powerful in our hearts. That even as many sit here and are, are thinking through like tangible ways to, to, to work out what's happened to them, the, the, the deal with some of the hurt or, or celebrate and, and enrich the beauty in their life. God, I pray, um, I guess I, I just, I ask God that you would, you do something extraordinary in the hearts of those that are, are open. That folks would just be healed of things. That whatever pain and agony and exhaustion is there, that they would truly just be able to lay that down at your feet. For those who have vision and dreams for this church and for their lives, Lord, I pray that you just open doors for them. Pray that they would take seriously, that we would all take seriously the gift of your grace. So this is communion or the Eucharist. We take this most weeks. And this is the, the most beautiful picture that I know. Jesus tells us that there's no greater love than one who would lay down his life for his friends. And this is exactly what we believe as Christians God has done. He's actually laid down his life for us. The ultimate act of love. Sacrificing for the other. This is the picture we have. And so if you're here and you're a Christian, um, you can take the bread, come and dip it in the wine or the crayon apple and be reminded of the beauty of God, of his body broken and his blood poured out for us. And as always reminded that there's a, a communal nature to this, that we being called the body of Christ, the, the community of Jesus in the world, we are called to break ourselves open and pour ourselves out for the healing of our city and for the healing of our own hearts. So might we, as we come forward, um, take all, all of this information and be able to actually process during this time. Don't feel compelled that you have to stand and sing. You're welcome to, but just to take time to actually jot down what is God doing in your heart? Where are you drifting? Where are ways you need to be intentional? Where are ways you need to cry out to God? So come forward as you feel led.